You're listening to The RC, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking, and cutting-edge imaging. Hi, and welcome to this week's RC podcast. I should say this month's RC podcast. It's the... It's uh, No, no, it's the uh, month of August, so we are at least a week late. Covering digital cinematography, uh, this week we'll be covering a bunch of stuff, including uh, 4K, ARRI, microphones, both big and small. Um, incredibly interesting tech that looks like... Uh, well, it almost sort of seems uh, too good to be true. Is it? We'll find out more. And this here on this week's, uh, this month's, this quarter's, this term's RC podcast. We see our role here uh, for Jason and I to mine the various news, uh, filter blogs, but mainly just to let you join us as we discuss uh, the tech that interests us, we obsess about, discuss about, argue about, and even try out in our various places around the world. This is the conversation that Jason and I have. We want you to be a part of it. So um, I'm, of course, joined by Jason Wingrove, who happens to luckily be finally back in Australia at the same time that I am. Tis a miracle, my friend. How are you, Jason? Hello. Hello. I'm very well. You've been away too. I have, yes. No, I've been in uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and most importantly, Vancouver. Uh, but I am back and happily thus. You've been where exactly? Uh, Ukraine. Are you like the Kiev. biggest kind of... Is, is, is Idiot. No, no, not that. It's just that you seem to be doing a lot of uh, work in Europe. It's at, weird. Uh, it's a weird thing. Um, they have I mean, this, it's great. But, yeah, yeah, I went there and I was actually shooting uh, in Kiev for a not actually for a Ukrainian product, but for a Kazakhstan product, which is a neighboring country and very similar. Uh, and this, and literally within weeks of being there, like just every second email was work offers there. And I think it just, it comes from the fact that if you, they seem to have a, a, a real sort of network circulating all of, not just the people who are there shooting, but also the people who, uh, they have a shortlist. Anybody, if you were shortlisted for a job, um, even if you just were bidding or pitching on a job, it seems to be a real sort of uh, underground newsletter thing that goes around. And yes, it's kind of like once you've s- sort of done something there or been at least shortlisted for something there, they um, they they've got your number, baby. So it's interesting. Probably possibly going back uh, at the end of this week again. Uh, yeah, should be interesting. So look, not uh, whatever, but. I mean, this is Kiev as in the Ukraine, as in like as in, yes. Russia's knocking on the as door. In why? Well, not yeah. why, but just like, uh, you know, this is the uh, uh, a uh, disputed area. I mean, in other words, uh, airlines don't even like flying over it nowadays. I mean, over uh, the, at least they, at least over the um, Russian uh, Ukraine border, yes, yeah. they are avoiding that area, but very much still. Uh, it's hard to. I mean, Kiev is um, a fair way from the border, I know, but yeah, it's a thousand kilometres or so from the border. It's uh, the border is obviously on the, is in the uh, east, and Kiev's kind of central to uh, Ukraine, and uh, so there's a lot of it, a couple of thousand kilometres of, of wide of, of it, and um, you know, if you even vaguely suggest that uh, is it okay if I go there, they just scoff and laugh at you, like, what are you talking about? So life does go on and um, never once felt unsafe and there's no... Um, never had anyone say, anyone say, you know, when you're getting your passport stamped in Sydney, are you uh, a correspondent or going over for any other reason than just... No, no, I, I literally, actually, even before I left, going through customs, you know, before you go airside yeah. in Sydney, you know, just say um, the customs guy looking up there, Ukraine. Hmm. Okay. Have fun. So uh, even even 
Uh, from before I even got on a plane, uh, there was always there was somebody uh, questioning my motives. But uh, look, uh, they they you know it's a it's still a bustling working city, and they have clients and uh, people shooting from around the world, flying in and working there all the time, and uh, and, and and until things change uh, or there's any anything occurs, I'm I'm going to still keep going there. And it, you were saying to me that you <coughs> you found the cruise there to be really really good. Yeah, look, absolutely. Yeah, same as when I shot in um, uh, in in Czech Republic uh, last year. It's fantastic. You know, I mean, I'm I don't. They all seem to be reasonably well paid, and I don't, and I don't think anyone's really being. You know, there's no sort of um, Chinese children slave labour thing going on in terms of crew. Everyone seems to be getting you know a fair days, um, you know, com- comparable fair days. Uh, wage for a fair day's work and uh, all the crew are switched on, they know what they're doing, they've got all the gear. I mean, if you want something kind of obscure, you have to bring it in maybe. Anamorphics were a little bit low on, low on the bit, bit thin on the ground, so I didn't go that way. But, you know, everything's there and there's plenty of nice nice gear and Alexas and stabilised heads and tracking vehicles and everything, everything you need, really. And the crew are working hard and... and and that you know, there is no real sense of uh, bamboo scaffolding or uh, b- rubber band paperclip technology. It's all, all you know above board, and I've got more than enough people that I need. Plenty of gear, plenty of crew, pe- people supporting me and looking after me, and uh, yeah, put up at nice hotels. And are uh, you going there because problems. it has that wonderful sort of? Um sort of architecture of a interesting European city without the kind of loss of uh, faith that comes from commercialization or is it because someone says hey would you like to come here and earn some money and <laughs> I will go there. I mean there is some there's definitely some nice scripts that have come come to come through from there there's some definitely some nice opportunities but uh, on the whole it's purely you know it is a uh, it's uh, you know it's uh, it's a paying the mortgage exercise essentially and uh, the work is there and and you know, so, pay, how do you go by so the language? The language is the trickiest thing, I think. And you know, of that, I mean, uh, the Lost in Translation is definitely one of those movies that echoes around your head, and definitely you feel very much in that moment that you are spending your every waking moment uh, not uh, surrounded by not not your own language and it's quite it is quite wearying it's quite hard it's quite frustrating there is a certain amount of frustration there I mean I don't think you're necessarily kept in the dark I mean they keep you out of conversations that you aren't relevant but there is an awful lot of and when you're used to being attuned to all the conversations around you how can I help with everything being attuned to any kind of problem or rift or issue and thinking how you can possibly help be it on set or in pre-production or anything it, you're, you're, you're doubly attuned to it when you're on a recce and you're just surrounded by language and just it's the occasional the Jason and you just go is this something I need to know and it's interesting you find yourself picking up on the tone of conversations or picking up on 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 you find yourself just being able to sort of almost be like a lip reading mind reading deaf person that you kind of can have this sort of <laughs> fifth sense about what's going on 
and uh, can kind of make guesses as to what's occurring and, and, and then pipe up and ask. But it is, it is yeah, kind of frustrating when, when, when you're used to knowing, knowing all and seeing all and half of that is removed. But, uh, look, it's, it doesn't happen from any sort of sense of malice. It's just that, the way it goes and uh, they'll involve you in the conversation when they need to. And, you know, probably it, it, not a lot of the crew speaks English. It does very much depend on your crew, but probably 10%. The main thing is just got to have a fucking good first AD because they are just your eyes and your ears and they are you. they got to go up and approach the actors and they know, you know. So, so they're bilingual? Well, the, my, my, mine was, and my okay. my director of photography wasn't. She um, didn't. She kind of understood, but it wasn't great communication there. But not, not. But I didn't mean to because just images were great, and she kind of got me, and she knew the style, and I chose someone who who had uh, a, a great look anyway. So I didn't really need to. Um, interfere much it was fantastic in terms of just letting them run and have their head and and but yeah in terms of you know directing kids and directing talent in not your own language it was very hard and very very much relying on uh, a great first ad which is hard for them because it's twice the workload because they can't just be first ad they have to be if you they're doing a first ad for a non um uh, russian speaking uh, director, they have to be first AD and director, and they have to deal with. You know, they're re- they're translating, they're relaying, so it's really tough for them. But uh, yeah, if you get a good guy or girl, then just yeah, hang on to is them. It, it's really it, good. And this is kind of a weird ant, like reverse sexist thing. But I, I've got this perception that um, in uh, those sorts of areas in the world, you get. Uh, more often than not, good women uh, DOPs more than I sort of sense that you get here. Is that is that? Yeah, my... I don't know. Like, I couldn't really speak for the uh, the ratios there, but uh, um, have you shot with many female DOPs? Yeah, here? absolutely, lots here and 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 and, okay. and around the world. But uh, I mean, it's a really good did... thing, right? Don't get me wrong. I'm yeah, absolutely. I'm no, I, I, I I couldn't. I, I mean, I was. I didn't. I didn't troll all of the. The um, all of the lists I was given, you know, a handful of people to choose from, and gravitated to someone's work who I thought was was great, regardless of gender. And um, what what are you shooting on? They were shooting on Alexa, just uh, regular XT, I think. Um, just shooting 2K ProRes, no codecs. Um, shooting very simple package. Just is the is the edit speeds, here or Zeiss super speeds? Uh, the edit was there. I stayed and did my own edit. Right. Very much like UK and Australia that they'd like you to do an edit before you go. Um, right. So, yeah, I stayed and did an edit. But, you know, crews work fast. Editors work fast. Get it in, get it out, and they're all great. And, I, you know, was very happy with the edits. Everyone was happy with it. I couldn't understand it. But uh, <laughs> 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 it, was, it was definitely definitely in terms of selecting it's quite interesting, even the whole process of choosing an actor. That, I mean, I kind of, you know, I had a translated script, so I sort of knew the gist of the lines. But you really have to sort of look. Okay, which line are they saying now? You have to sort of look through and kind of work out which line matched vaguely with what with the English version, and you can kind of work it out. And um, and yeah, it, it's interesting that, that uh, I guess it's the same if you're watching a foreign film, you know. You can see a good performance 
regardless of if it's it's English or or a foreign film with subtitles. You kind of know a good natural performance, even though there's obviously cultural nuances and different, you know, the way things are uh, in, in intonation of words and things. You generally can kind of pick good actors. So it was, you know, I was I was shortlisting actors that the um ukraine agency they all we all chose the same people and it was a real task because it was actually it was these sets of twins it was the probably you probably struggle to do it in any country wow. like twins through the ages from like birth to 15 to you know to 8 to 10 to 15 getting vaguely similar look and because it was for kazakhstan which has a very different look to um, Ukraine. I mean, Ukraine is quite, um, you know, a Western look, but you, uh, Kazakhstan is. It's quite. It's quite. It's almost a bit. Not wanting to be racist, it's a bit sort of inuitory. There's a little bit sort of almost Asian-looking. It's, it's an interesting sort of unusual mix up there and a uh, very different style of um, you know of look so we're not after, not just after um, the look of you know matching all the twins but they all had to look Kazakhstan which was interesting and uh, the weird thing in terms of politi- politics is that once we uh, had locked in a few people we lost a lot of cast because they Fifty percent of them did not want to travel to Ukraine from from Kazakhstan, where they were cast, because of the Russian propaganda. Propaganda. A lot of their TV comes from Russia, and there's a lot of anti-Ukrainian uh, oh. sentiment spread by Russia. And you know that they uh, they eat babies. Ukrainians eat babies, and there's tanks in the street, and uh, you you know, and it's quite 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 awful. And you really get a bit of a an interesting taste of how spun the Russian media is and how, you know, how potentially, you know, damaging it is and, and quite nasty, really, I think. So we definitely had quite sensible people pulling out to not want to travel to Ukraine because um, what they were, that we were asking them to shoot in a country that eats babies. Okay, but but there, I mean, like in fairness, right? There is actually being, you know, sort of serious stuff on the ground in Kiev. It's not like it's yeah. never happened there. Yeah, oh like yeah, protests no, look, and you know, absolutely crazy protest and a lot of stuff I had not even heard of. Probably partly, mostly, probably fifty percent of it maybe is probably my ignorance, but fifty percent of it's just the fact that it doesn't. A lot of the news there doesn't doesn't come here. But yes, in not long ago, in month month in a matter of months ago, in uh, in the center of town, quite awful conflicts where, yeah. you know, um, government government police, like literally, like those government back, like essentially the SWAT teams, are burning down government buildings with three hundred people in, inside. As in, in the center of town, it's it's like unheard of. Uh, uh, yet, you know, you wander through the streets and uh, everybody's happy, and you go to beautiful restaurants, and it's 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 really you sort of really have a bit of a uh, and a, 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 for me, a, a real, real reawakening uh, or a, a bit of a smack in the face as to uh, how much all of those sort of European tensions are still there under the under the surface, and how that you know, fifty tensions of fifty years ago are still 
you know, are still simmering there. It's like, uh, you know, it's still a little bit of heat under the surface. It's quite, quite, quite odd. And for people, you know, from, from, from say, Australia, you just like, we, it's just completely alien. We just have never really had that, that no, no. kind of uh, thing in the background. And these, these are countries, this is, you know, countries that have had it forever. And it's still affecting every industry and, and things. But, uh, you know, life goes on. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, I mm-hmm. personally t- just suggest, I mean, as, I mean, look, you don't need me to say this, but, you know, be careful. Yes, as things does can, DFAT, as does our Department of Foreign Affairs yeah, and Trade. Things says, can change. reconsider your travel there. <laughs> things can change relatively yes, quickly. Yes, indeed, indeed. I mean, Keep it the wrong way in a, um, in a protest. Yes. I mean, yes. I I hope that that's where at the level we're at protesting, not uh, not something even more serious. Not that um, yeah, that they aren't serious enough. Okay, so uh, swinging back around, of course, to um, just camera stuff specifically. Uh, last time we had the um, RC, we were talking about the uh, sliders that we had just uh, arrived, and certainly I had uh, just got mine. Oh yes, and, yes, um, I think you've got, got yours, a right? To play now, yes, yeah, yeah. Oh man, so good. I mean, it has it has there's a couple of issues, or main, my, my main issue, but I'll, I'll go on the the pluses of the thing first. I mean, you've probably had a chance. I I haven't had a chance to go out and. And, and play proper, but I've certainly uh, I certainly know it now and know how it works and things. But uh, yeah, we've got the uh, um, Elecrone Slider Plus Pro, um, just because you know it's it's just stunningly made. Very yeah. very, I like the fact that it's compact. Uh, it's it's very very. I've had a couple of sliders in the past. Um, I mean, Kessler are probably the exception because they are just built like absolute brick shit house, fantastic. Uh, but I think the Slider Plus Pro for me was more of a travelling thing in the fact that because it is that kind of compound design, that it, it travels more than its actual length. It's great for great for travelling, and it is very very rigid. You can put a reasonably heavy cap. In fact, I think Mike, you you had a. You had an epic and a reasonably large head and everything yep. on the top of it. Your uh, yeah, we were testing it for that reason. Cinema but, primes and things all on the top of one of these. Because our concern was that there'd be some flex in it uh, that would cause the main middle unit. So if you guys um, just to be everyone up to speed, this is the um, slider that literally, as it moves left and right, it sort of extends mm-hmm. its own base out underneath itself. And as a consequence, unlike a traditional slider, um, you are. Um, You've got sort of like two moving parts, if you think think that way. Um, the moving part that is the unit that your camera's on, which is, of course, uh, moving the full length of its uh, <coughs> translation. But then there's this additional component of it, which is, of course, the fact that the sliders sort of own tracks and moving underneath it. Now, when we got ours initially, there was a little bit of, uh, um, I don't say bumping, but it's almost like a friction that happened as the middle unit moved over the center of where the, uh, the head was. And yeah. we had to adjust for that accordingly. Um, the other thing was the the main slider that we're talking about, the uh, Slider Plus Pro, which ranges from it's in three sizes from about eight hundred dollars to about a thousand. Um, in addition to that, we got uh, the uh, two modes that allow it to do both targeting, as in as it goes along the pan, it automatically uh, aims the camera at the same point in space, and the action module, which allows you to do both repeatable action to an extent, 
Look to a very good extent, but to an extent, and uh, and also time lapse and stuff. And so, Jace, for my money, the thing that was really interesting about it is how well all of those three pieces uh, work together. Yeah. But especially that target mode, I, I, I just I'm really really uh, impressed with the target mode. And the reason for I say that is that I was very close to thinking about getting a target slider that would have a fixed arc and has uh, lasers that sort of determine, okay, well, there's the radius of that arc. And so you sit there and you'll be in the center and everything will, you know, uh, sort of stay exactly where it should and everything behind you will move uh, relative and matchingly to what the uh, camera is doing. But with this one, we can pick any point we like, really. We just aim it at a point, aim it at another point, and it just sort of stays there. Yeah, I mean, there is definitely uh, advantages for those other systems like the one-man crew i think it is from red rock micro and there's uh, kessler has one as well um the main thing for them is that they are silent there is one if there's one thing one thing only that i would like to fix with with this it would be the uh sound of the motors well Motor, now really now that's the if you have an automated tracking in other words if you use the action module in a dish because the I didn't found there was a lot of noise from the targeter. I found there was noise from the motor on the sliding motion. Does that make sense? This is true. Yes, the targeting thing is is you can manually push the slider up and down, and it will uh, still uh, give you that perfect nodal point. Um, keep your pan centered, uh, and it's very quiet. Yes, but it's when you when you choose to motorize it, and of that is the plus of say like the one man band thing if you're wanting to do that second camera maybe the profile shot second camera on an interview say where you just want to have you can be watching the main action and then you can set up that B camera to just rock and roll left and right and just keep the person centered and uh, maybe on a slightly tighter lens and just set and forget um, and uh, that is obviously to be able to set and forget with motors and leave it going is where you want something that's nice and quiet hopefully maybe in the future they'll 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 bring out a, a quiet motor because that's the only that's the only fault i have with this system i think it's fantastic and compact and travelable and beautifully made very precise very smooth if you take the motor off it is i've had a couple of slices where you know even with your best intentions and having to do rubber band hacks and things to try and make it as smooth as possible i have no problem just doing manual moves on this thing that with with that are smooth and i just love this flexibility to be able to put you can put it on its side you can do a vertical move and rather than panning left and right the target module will let you literally do a tilt uh, tilt, uh, uh, you know, tilt up and down, and track, track a, track an item, track a, track a subject vertically. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's incredibly flexible with the angle brackets and stuff. And uh, yeah, I just, I think, yeah, when Elcrone first came out, they had all these kind of wacky, completely bonkers, and still some of them, they still, still do make some of those things. Um, uh, you know, shoulder rigs and things, which is crazy. But uh, this is this is definitely their their big party piece, and uh, I think they've really uh, onto something with, with with this stuff. And hopefully, they'll expand it and maybe make even bigger pro ones. I'd love to see them make an absolute pro thing that you could put an Alexa on and you know have a big tracking thing. There is obviously big cinema sliders out there. I've used them on set quite a lot. But uh, the fabulous thing about this compound sliding system is that the as you track of course the end of the slider changes so 
it gets out of your way a little bit more than if, if it was a fixed length track which I think is, is just is, is very, very clever, particularly if you have a nice small camera that's bolted quite low. Yeah, I think the thing for me, and I just want to clarify that comment I made about the almost uh, repeatable action thing, is because a couple of people said to me, um, it's motion control, because you know, once you've got a repeatable yeah. uh, thing, it is and it isn't. Um, it certainly is a repeatable action, which is terrific, but it does have a couple of uh, sort of gotchas which are, I think, completely um, what you to be expected at the price range we're talking about. So the action module is kicking in around 800 bucks. That target module is kicking in about another 800 though you do save money if you buy them together. I think you save like 100 bucks, or and it's each or both. But anyway, um, the fact is that uh, if you are taking normal motion control, one of the key things that a motion control rig does is it fires the camera uh, to exactly the same start point of the move. Now, you have no control over that in this. So if you think about that for a second... If it's moving along, let's just magnify everything for the purposes of discussion. If you move along one inch and it takes a frame and then move along one inch and take a frame, the second time you go through, it might have only moved half an inch, takes a frame. Now it moves an inch, takes a frame. Now it moves an inch, take a frame. Really? Point being, well, no, but you know what I'm saying. Like in, in, in theory, there's mm. no reason why the frame shutter click has to happen at exactly the same millimeter point on the slider because the camera isn't tied in like it's with the motion control rig, the shutter isn't being triggered from the rig. So if you're trying to line two things up, you could be as much as half a frame distance out of whack. Now, in a slow right. move, you're never going to see that. But on a fast move, you know, you'll find that if you're trying to provide very, very accurate um, syncing, you'll say, well, that frame's a little in front and that frame's a little behind. I seem to be in the middle. Well, yeah, you could be. You could be right on, right? You could be right on the money. Yeah. But in which case, this probably isn't the tool for that job. Exactly. That's my point. Yeah. So, so it's uh, like it's a poor man's motion control, but yeah. you have to work with it inside the limits of what it can do. The other thing is, um, while the motors are very, very good, I think um, you know there is a tiny amount of play in it again because we're talking about a um, like a band, and mm. so. In terms of uh, variation, um, you'd want to have your rig well balanced because you really don't want to be fighting anything in terms of um, the inertia and stuff on it when it's running through. Now, I'm talking at effects level, not at sort of general fun level. Like at general fun level, it all works great. Yeah. But if you start trying to make it to be, uh, you know, as I say, like a real total uh, motion control trip, um, as with everything in life, you get really close, but under a thousand bucks doesn't get you a you know uh, ninety thousand um, dollar Milo uh, rig. So, yeah, you know. yeah. Um, it, so it's good, but I just want to set like people's expectation. Now, is it really good? Well, yeah. Once you go into that zone of, but I understand that this is what it is, then I think it's outstanding. In fact, I can think of nothing I'd prefer to have. I'm, you know, um, I think it's great, really, really great. And the traveling thing is huge. Not only does it mm. have the travel. Um, uh, but being able to take it traveling is a really big plus for me. There's one other point about yeah, it. Which, and leave all the modules at home if you just want a simple oh, slider. Yeah. But one of the huge module uh, advantages for me about that traveling action, and we uh, did this ourselves, is it's, um, I think like a left to right move is all well and good, but a push in is just marvelous. And mm. here we basically get um, like a well, like a dolly move, that it's that track in that has some, some real production value. But you would normally see your own tracks and you would see your own tracks in quite a lot of situations. Now, given that the travel of the slider and the lens are a function, you know, that have to be 
uh, related to each other. I've got the smaller of the travelers. You've got the very large one. But still, on the lenses that we were using, which were quite wide, we were not seeing the track as we went back because the track effectively goes under the camera and comes yeah, out to meet it. Tracks, yeah. yeah, and so that's a really big advantage to me because removing that track at the bottom of frame is a real pain in the butt uh, to the point that many people wouldn't want to do it. Um, it's not a simple uh, comp to get it out because obviously the camera's moving. That's the whole point of it. So, yeah. yeah. So astoundingly good from that point of view before you even go to these action modules and target modules. But, Jace, for me, I cannot – I mean, you probably can because you're really good, but I just cannot do a successful target mode uh, manually. I can't do a <laughs> manual track and pan. I've tried it on many, many, many shots. I can get away with it for like a, a second or two, but yeah. over the length of the track, I just will always overshoot or undershoot, giving a very kind of amateur hour feel to my uh, – to my track so that target mode even without the automated action module is just spectacular and i should it's have totally easier anyway to make a smoother move with these i, fi I find they're just oh, yeah. a little bit more I, know, I think it's the fact that it's not just one thing rolling on a on a on rods i think it's the fact that it has it's almost like because it's almost kind of like counterweighted and as you move one thing there's two or three other things moving at the same time i think that's what kind of helps iron out the the rough the rough bits i guess because it's a, a compound move you know it's a bit of sort of physics going on there's more than one thing moving at a time and i think that helps kind of you know if you've literally just got four little wheels if you've got a bump or something somehow when you've got essentially you've got eight you've got something traveling on the bottom as well so it's like eight wheels moving and belts and things and you kind of all sort of to a some degree self dampens itself yeah, so anyway. it's a good. It's a good. Uh, it's yeah, a good, good, worth uh, a look, worth a play. But I think the the key for me for getting it was, uh, I think not just necessarily just this last, maybe the last, the second last NAB, but also playing again at this NAB was to get it in your hands and to really see someone playing with the things was what was what sort of sealed it for me. The other bit of kit that we talked about, I think last time, which I wanted to discuss this time, is the um, the Rode uh, IXY mic. Yes, we're definitely going to move on to some bigger bicky stuff shortly. But uh, I wanted to just—I I, I flagged this thing as coming last time, and I hadn't didn't have it in my hand. And I, I thought that now I've played with it. I think it's just outstanding. And I—it's I, the tiniest little, simplest little bit of kit, but man, it's just so well made—the little Ixy Lightning thing. But also, it's how it works with the road grip. I think you've got that now—the little, the little hand grip thing. I haven't got the hand plus. grip thing. Ah, okay. I've got the actual Just mic. The microphone. Yes. Um, but I've got to say, I'm I'm keen to get that um, thing that you're talking about. The the there's two holding. versions of there's the road grip and the road grip plus and it really is just a simple it's a it's a very clever design thing. You can mount it. You can use it as an iPhone photography hand grip. Then you can also flip it down on its on its base so literally you are holding almost like the rec recorder looking at the looking at the screen of the iPhone recording looking at the levels and and holding it and giving yourself a little bit of microphone isolation with the hand grip okay now i must be doing something wrong cuz i i want you to help me with this because how do you look at the levels and adjust them? Because on my that's my number one criticism in the iXY i have two criticisms of the the mic. Well, of course, they're not criticisms of the mic. They're criticisms of the UI of the Rode um, app that runs yeah, on your iPhone. Really cool. Rode, but, Rode yeah, but I've used it a lot since I got it. In fact, I had a trip to, well, I said the uh, SIDGRAPH and stuff. And so I found that I was recording with it every single day. Yeah. 
Yeah. And there were there were two huge criticisms I had. Firstly, when I'm recording, I couldn't see any way of adjusting the levels of the recording without changing from a menu to an area where I can no longer see the levels, randomly clicking a higher value and then going back to the main um, yes, screen again. Yes, this is true. The second That's problem, my understanding too. Yes, you have okay. to go into the settings and then um, um, you know, basically um, have to go to – but I don't think that doesn't stop the recording. I think you no, just it doesn't have stop to the go recording. to another – you have to go to another page. Yeah, you go to the basically. next – well, actually two. You click on settings. That gets you to a thing that gets you to input. You click on input and now you can adjust the mic gain. The trouble is I no longer see the levels, so I pick a – different level than what I have at the moment. Yeah. Then I click back to two buttons, gets me back to the recording that I'm currently mm. doing, only to then go, oh, that's not right. Let me go back again. So that's like, I think, I mean, for somebody that's trying to record audio, isn't that like a fundamental thing you just like don't want it to do? I suppose so. But I, th I think it's, I think it's, I mean, the road wreck thing is there, but I think it's reasonably uh, app agnostic in so much as that there are there probably apps out there that can, access the uh, the mic and maybe give you some uh, audio levels. The but, second problem uh, I have with the recordings is that you have them listed, which is, you know, what I was doing on mine, right? Yes. And then I want to share them. Okay, well, I get that that's going to be um, interesting. So it's on my iPhone and I, I can share any particular recording, which is yes, awesome. Yes, you can send it to Dropbox, I think, can't you? Yeah, well, you, but that's, you know, when you're overseas on uh, limited data, what you want to sure. do. What I sure. did is I did file sharing and turned it into a WAV file and then plugged it into my laptop and yes. transferred the WAV file off to my uh, computer. Seems fine, right? You go back to the place that you did all your original recordings and you delete the recording. What it doesn't rec delete when you do that is the WAV file you created. The trouble there is, is that you're sitting there and you've done 10 recordings by the 10th one, you've actually run out of space on your iPhone, but you look and it says that this app is what's chewing it up. You've yeah. only got like one recording in the list of recordings. You're thinking, well, what the heck? But if you were to go back to the um, the place where you made the WAV files, only there can you get a um, a look at the WAV files, which is like a like a duplicate of the recording now in WAV format. And that's what's been chewing up your, uh, your space on your... Um, Right. on your phone and I think that's like I mean anything that stops me recording um, that isn't immediately obvious uh, I hate <laughs> so why can't you just export the actual file oh you do you go into into you plug it into your Mac and do it somewhere else do the do the wave do the transcoding well because if you made it a wave file it just appears happily on your iTunes um, you know little menu and you can just save it off to a folder which is what I was doing uh, it was just not, you know, uh, clearing itself in memory. Well, I mean, you could argue, well, I didn't clear it in memory, right? You could argue quite successfully, in fact, that I just w didn't know what I was doing. Um, but my point is it shouldn't be as complicated, I think. Um, the only place to delete the WAV file is the place that you create the WAV files, which is like three menus down. And at the bottom, it just what, has a little... What did you want to record in the first place? I wanted to record WAV files, but I was recording it with this app and I'm saying it makes two copies. It makes the copy that it makes, and then it makes an audio file that you can use. Oh, I see. And that, that, so, for example, back out where you would, say, create a new file, I might have only two files listed. Back over in the bottom of file sharing under files, it's going to have a little button. You click it, you're saying, oh, my God, I've got five or six one-hour WAV files, WAV files on, my, um, on my iPhone. See what I'm saying? 
So even though at the main menu you only have a file or two, those WAV files or WAV files are incredibly um, data heavy. And and in my case, I was recording long interviews, which would go for, guess what, you know, a long time. And so I ended up with like, you know, six hours of WAV files and and it started to chew up my memory on my phone, which would stop me. But I, I think you just, you know, the thing that you want out of a recorder is is simplicity. So does it record tremendously good quality audio? Absolutely. Um, is it a really well-made little mic? Yeah, it's awesome. Stunningly so. Yeah. But if anyone has a better app <laughs> for running it with, <laughs> please email us because, uh, you know, I mean, I, I mm-hmm. love that it has a little thing that you can sit on the top of the camera and I love everything about it apart from the um, non-intuitive nature of the app. And I've got to say that's it the case slightly, with yes. every darn audio recorder I use. No one's, there is one apparently I haven't used that, um, that uh, what's his name from um, uh, This American Life uses. Oh, yeah. Um, but I've not bought that. Oh, okay. But anyway... So this is great to have in your pocket. The other thing I have in my pocket is the lab mic from Rode. And I'm, I've am i done that before. I've been caught where we've had a problem with uh, batteries or something on our you know, professional uh, Sennheiser units. And what we've done is we've just clipped this on and stuck that in my pocket and used it as a as a primary recorder, the secondary recorder being the camera itself, and then just use Pluralize to sync the two. And that is just about the best get-out-of-jail-free card uh, yeah. you can have for an audio guy. If you're not a professional audio person, so you don't have a lot of kit and you're just traveling, that little um, lab mic is next the to like, lab, it's like grams. It's like tiny ounces yeah. in your bag. And yet all you need is to just plug it into your phone and you've got 100% really good quality backup on um, what is otherwise, you know, robust kit. But of course, does rely on, you know, having that adequate supply of AA batteries. Yes. But uh, well, yeah, I, 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 I mention it only because I just want to encourage Rode to keep going because I, I think this stuff is great. Oh, they are. And they've just uh, literally, I think, um, uh, I think as by the time this goes to press, there's a new, there's a very new cool uh, stereo mic coming from Rode that they've already teased. So I'm not spoiling anything yet. But I think on the 12th of September, they are not announcing something else, which I've seen a few shots of and looks. Uh, very cool and uh, yeah, a new on-camera mic, I think. Yeah, so they they don't seem to be stopping, and they've just brought out a very nice, beautiful USB, uh, great for podcasting as well. The uh, NT USB microphone, which is uh, sensationally good and sounds beautiful, and is a perfect alternative, perhaps, to these ones that we're talking on now. The uh, po- podcaster, um, yeah. But, uh, I'm actually not on the podcaster. I'm on the proper mic. Oh, you're on the because I go into a. You're on. I go you're into on the a, Procaster. Yeah, because I go into a USB Pre Two sound devices. Right. And it has a limiter, and that then USB connects into my laptop. And by the way, you're guys, in- if you want a really cool piece of sound kit, that sound devices USB Two Pre Two is just the bomb. I yeah, love anything that box sound it devices is. is stunningly made and. Uh, Built like a brick shit house, as they say. Now you're on the Procaster. I'm on the Podcaster. Yeah. into USB. Podcaster is great. I just yeah, I don't have to on it. You can, yeah, it's fantastic. I think you can even use it with iPads if you want. Yeah, my anyway. two, my two, well, yeah, my three favorite audio things of all time. No one expects a Spanish musician. My three favorite audio things of all time are the Sennheiser um, uh, wireless, which are just 
to die for. Yeah, the uh, this uh, USB Pre two from Sound Devices and uh, that uh, little IXY and slash um, uh, uh, SmartLav, which I just yeah. crackers for backup. I love audio backup. I just anything I do with audio, I have a sheer risk of just pathological fear of failure. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the thing that lets me out. Literally, I was doing these really critical interviews, like mega critical. I knew I'd never get to interview these people again type interviews. And um, so I just dual recorded everything. And uh, I was really happy that I did. Oh, so sound is horribly horrible. Horrible to do. Let's raise the intellectual level of the conversation to uh, let's do some 4K. Uh-huh. There's a few things to talk about. Uh, Amira and Ari um, adding some ProRes and UHD uh, to um, cameras and some perhaps some 4K that we weren't meant to have. Pray tell, what is this of which you speak? Okay, so yes, uh, clearly everyone's probably aware of now the, uh, I'm not going to say hack because it's a bit grey as to what you call it or whether you call this a hack. I call it a workaround um, the ability, the ability, it seems, for you to record 4K internally, XAVC, on the Sony F5. Obviously, this is an issue that's close to my heart, having not long ago bought one. Um, and, uh, yeah, so basically, um, uh, someone has found out a way, and, you know, with a lot of burning the midnight oil, to basically switch on a lot of the um, functionality of the Sony F55 that is embedded in the Sony F5. And it obviously answers, asks a few questions, but um, I'm not sure how many of these questions we, want to, we want, to, want to really tackle. But the main thing is that essentially it seems the ability to record 4K internally is always there on the F5 and it's really a matter of uh, switching it on. Uh, it's kind of like the uh, the gate was left a little bit open there by the software engineers and perhaps the um, hardware differences between F5 and 55 aren't quite so uh, big as, as, as we imagined. Well, uh, maybe you're being a bit too kind there, Jace. I mean, uh, it's... Uh... <laughs> maybe I am. Maybe I am. But um, uh, I, I think... Obviously, the F55 has uh, a different sensor, has a global shutter, and has a theoretically a large color gamut uh, attached to that. Um, but essentially, the only other main difference between the F555 was its ability to record 4K internally uh, from you know zero to 60 frames a second, mm. and then both cameras are the same. They both do 2K up to 180 frames. But basically, there is there is that inherent ability to sh- do XAVC 4K up to 60 frames a second, which uh, has basically been unlocked. Um, so um, a couple of English guys, and mainly uh, Paul Ream, who's a who's a DOP in in UK, and um, he, as I say, through a lot of a uh, lot of digging around, found well, out I think by his own admission, it was a very good curry. It was a very good curry. And uh, lots of cups of tea and uh, midnight oil. But I think uh, basically how it works is the camera essentially you can save out a file called an all file, which is basically a way of being able to say all of the settings of this camera, just, just, just 
keep them as they are just to be able to quickly and easily swap from say a camera that you've got it all set up to do maybe 50 frames a second 50p and i like this desaturated color look and with this i want this menus on here and i want the histogram and in all basically all of the all of the the custom the customizable settings of the camera you can save that as an all file and and keep those easy reach and and reset those and he essentially uh, looked at and the all file is a very small, you know, only a few K. So it's just a text file. This is not firmware. This is not software from the camera. This is essentially a little, a little, it's like, it's like reading an EDL. It's like, it's like a decision list. It's like, oh, you want me to do this and do that? Okay. It's basically just rearranging the switches of the camera. And um, basically Paul looked at the, the, the lines of text and just changed a couple of them and did a bit of um, PC um, checksumming on the file to make it be, you know, uh, all be uh, above board. And the camera reads it and the camera switches itself over to 4K. I think that's, that's one it. of the best hacks ever we've had. <laughs> it is bizarre. I mean, it is not without its issues, mild issues, I must say. I mean, I've certainly done it. I've tried it and I've tested it purely, of course, from a um, you know journalistic uh, point uh, of view. Of course, of course. Um, but uh, you can, uh, yeah, the, 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 the downside so far, and uh, it's all a very interestingly timed thing, and there's a fair few sides to this story at the moment, but the the Basically, at the moment, this particular part of the story is that uh, you can't play back the, cam- the files inside the camera, but you can certainly record them, take them off, plug them in, and every- drag and drop. There's no everybody, Everything reads the, the files beautifully. They are 4K files. The camera doesn't overheat. The camera doesn't go burko. The camera you know, doesn't all of a sudden, you know, looking through the camera, it's like the Matrix um, it, it's, it functions perfectly, perfectly fine, apart from not being able to play back the, um, the files internally from the camera. And I think that's just a, a matter of time. Literally, if it can record it, surely it's just a matter of working around. Uh, that would probably be a require a firmware update from Sony to. Um, Do you think we might see that IBC? This. We're about to go into no, IBC. The only other thing that is being rumored, I haven't seen it, is that there's maybe a slightly reduced. Dynamic range ever so slightly, but nothing, nothing major, and obviously well worth if you are wanting 4K internally. You know that's, that that is one small downside if you really want to go that way. It's kind of like the Magic Lantern thing. Essentially, you're not changing firmware of the camera uh, too much. Um, you're you're running a file, and you can reset the camera back to factory, and um, uh, maybe you know more. The only difference between, I suppose, the the analogy of this and Magic Lantern is that. Imagine that the five D Mark III was never designed to to shoot you know massive raw, and you had to really find different memory cards. This this is exactly the same memory cards. Obviously, you are doing dealing with with two flavors of the same camera, uh, and it it uh, it underlines, I guess, what is always there, regardless of what you buy, what you know, marketing anything you buy in the shop, two different flavors of 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 amplifier or plasma tv or whatever clock radio there'll be different grades of things and sometimes it makes monetary sense to not make three circuit boards not make three motherboards not make three you know internals and just keep it as a um to some degree uh, uh, uh minimize 
the, uh, the 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 manufacturing costs and only change what you need to. Clearly, there's no massive ripoff here. Sony have been there is a very different um, sensor at the front end of the uh, of the yeah, F55. Yeah, exactly so yeah, there's not you know this, this is not uh, the Italian job here, um, <laughs> but you know it does. It, it definitely raises some questions and. Uh, one of the other things that raises questions is uh, leaking at the moment of some an up-and-coming Sony camera, which uh, from... Uh, oh, you mean report, the XD cam? The XD cam, which is a small, lightweight. You know, again, this is not anywhere near the build quality of the F5 or 55. It's more down like your FS100, FS700. It's rumored to be a replacement for the FS700, but also there's equal rumors that are saying that maybe this isn't. This is just another camera. It's just a lower-end camera. It's an interesting, from what I've seen so far, just the pictures that have been leaked on a couple of Chinese websites. Um... That uh, and it's Chinese only web page, so there's only so much info you can glean there. But essentially, it is an XAVC Super 35 size sensor that records 4K internally to the so it's essentially the same codec, same reported to be the same frame rates, same codec, same sensor size uh, as the F55, and the same sensor as the F5. So and this is a much uh, lower end camera in terms of its build quality but you know <laughs> this is very going to be very if, if this comes out if it uh, it's rumored to be out in the IBC which is uh which is uh, next week this time next yep. week actually this weekend um that will be uh it will be some interesting times and yeah i mean it's it's got the things that you want for that oh, kind of uh it has everything i want <laughs> Actually, it has e it has e mount lenses, which is the same as the uh, uh, an e mount, which is the same as the A seven S that I have. Obviously, it doesn't have that flexibility of the um, F Z mount, which is on the F three, F five, F fifty five, F sixty five. It doesn't have that flexibility to be able to go to PL mount. But you know, e mount is equally a flexible. Uh, it's the same. It's the same gate depth. It's a very flexible mount as well. It's just a bit more. You know, it's a bit more amateur. But you can easily put speed boosters on that. You can have full frame imagery on this camera if you want. You can put speed boosters. There's every just like there is with the F Zent mount. There's even more. Perhaps there's more adapters as as has been um, as has been fueled by the fire that is the A7R. You can get a million. Metabones adapters and even cheaper adapters on on eBay to pretty much put any lens mount in existence in the world on that camera, uh, PL mount lenses included. Um, so uh, to to have something what looks to be very comfortable all in one on the shoulder, again like I have on my F5 recording to the XQD cards. Um, recording a better Kodak than my camera has, recording better frame rates than my camera has, um, for what is reportedly probably going to be well under 10 grand, maybe 7, 9, something like that, in the F700, FS700 sort of money, which is why people maybe are drawing the conclusion between the two, but maybe rightly or wrongly. One thing that the FS700 did do was those in crazy cached, 
recording speeds of 400, whatever, 900, crazy 200 frames per second uh, rates. And that was one of its interesting little party pieces that I really liked about it, um, which there's no mention of any of that with this camera just yet. Um, but we won't have to wait very long, only a matter of days before, well, Perhaps allegedly, any matter of days until until this camera comes out. Who knows? It might never. It might never. We've we've seen we've seen um, uh, cameras announced officially by by Sony, which have yet to ever see the light of day yet. Uh, from a couple of NABs ago, so hmm, interesting, interesting. We've got a camera that uh, is out there for twenty grand, and a higher end camera that's out there for thirty grand. The F fifty five is now essentially you can now you theoretically buy a camera with the same functionality, obviously with a lot less build and without the global shutter and all that sort of stuff, but essentially uh, same um, um, potentially similar dynamic range or acceptably similar dynamic range for a third or a quarter of the price. It's It does <laughs> so many questions, Mike. Ask me one. I don't know. It just it it boggles the mind. What what um, uh, what what perhaps what they're thinking. On, and also, I mean, the only it thing does. I'd say, Jace, is that a lot of this stuff is a little for me price dependent. Like, I can get really enthusiastic about this new camera, maybe if it's at the right price point. But yeah. I generally haven't been super enthusiastic. Um, just personally, like, I mean, I'm not saying that it's like uh, not for everyone with the XP type stuff. Yeah. Um, but. You know, like it's it's at a price, right? I mean, it really. I mean, yeah, I mean, part of the reason I never, I never, apart from the atrocious ergonomics in my book, the FS seven hundred, what held me back from buying one was this terrible codec, the XAVC, uh, the the, uh, oh, what is it called, ABC HD, yeah, the, uh, codec, which yeah. was pegged at max at like twenty eight megabits a second. It was fine. That was the same with a lot of the NEX cameras, and now XAVC is proving itself to be very clever, very stable, and amazing uh, codec at two hundred megabits per second. This is a massive. This is almost ten times, ten times the data rate of say an FS seven hundred, and to do four K. Uh, in camera on very small, very affordable. Uh, uh, I mean, cats and dogs living together. It's, this is we're going to have mass hysteria on the weekend. I think if the pricing comes out, and uh, and I can only imagine. Well, I say I can only imagine having been an F five owner uh, and and knowing F five fellow F five and fifty five owners. I could only. I would like to. Imagine that now that it has been shown that the F5 is capable of F of 4K, um, that perhaps if Sony is going to announce a camera much cheaper than it, that actually eclipses the ability with all the givens of build quality, and yes, yes, we know all that, um, <laughs> that, that they should uh, bless, even maybe even if just for a small fee, bless... Um, F5 owners with the ability to record 4K internally, and uh, then that answer that asks the question: If you're going to give F5 owners essentially the same frame rates as F55 owners, what do you do for F55 owners? And one of the, um, I'm sure there's probably hardware limitations to that, or impracticalities, or cost implica implications for it. But these people, they should be given um, some kind of uh, leg up. 
potentially. I mean, the people, these people uh, could might have well have bought their camera last week or two weeks ago or tomorrow and are going to be faced with a camera that uh, um, can potentially can, can, can uh, create very similar imagery for a quarter of the price. So I think they should be given, I don't know, raw, raw recording internally or something or raw recorder internally for a fee. There, uh, we mentioned uh, a while ago. I think it was announced at this NAB in April. Uh, two things that there, were, there was going to be an F5 to F55 upgrade program for the F5 owners. Uh, I'm sorry if you're a red owner at this time. Um, please hold normal. Uh, well, props, props. It will never be restored. But uh, well, uh, at the moment, well, bear with me. Um, uh, yes, that was that was announced, and 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 although there was never an Australian price uh, announced, but uh, certainly uh, uh, very much announced. And please stand by for the ability to put your camera in for I think you know sixteen, seventeen, eighteen thousand dollars. That of course included the swap over of the sensor to go to global shutter and a full top to tail. Changeover. Your essentially your camera would be exactly with all the functionality of an F55. People, the 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 feedback for that was that a it was expensive, and b not ne- yep. people necessarily wanted the global shutter. They all busting for the 4K or, or the ability to then put a raw recorder on. They all they basically wanted to have the 4K internal recording and were happy to pay a bit for it, but not didn't really want to pay almost the price of their camera again to add 4K internally, now are going to be all the way more harder to, to get those people to pay anything for when when it, it's been shown that uh, there is very little, if any, hardware changes needed to be to happen to that camera to enable 4K at all. So I think, you know, they've kind of shown their hand or it's been revealed somewhat that perhaps that, you know, we don't need to spend perhaps 20 grand to get our um, if people want 4K they're either going to dump their F, their cameras and you know buy this new camera if it comes out or um, Sony will uh, perhaps in their wisdom bless or for a small fee um, uh, give people a firmware upgrade to, to, to give them this because since that announcement the other announcement of course was the ProRes they were going to give ProRes recording to F5 and F55. Again, no price or time frame uh, was really given there. But uh, what is interesting with those programs, that about a month ago, both of them have gone completely dead silent. No one I know has ever ha- had a camera upgrade, sent one in, or had one, or, or pay, been able to give the ability to put a camera in. No one has, uh, there's been no further mention of this upgrade program or ProRes upgrades or any of that. It's gone quite silent. Uh, and this was around the time of year uh, that this was all meant to uh, occur. So I think uh, clearly there's some, some, some changes in the wind. And I'm sure that uh, Sony, having said they were willing to stand, they're wanting to stand by this platform. And the F5 and F55 platform is very important to them. Uh, that I'm sure that Sony will, uh, you know, in some way stand by those customers. And uh, I'm not speaking necessarily for myself. I'm speaking for anybody out there that I think, you know, I'm sure that uh, they will do the right thing because this is quite big. This is going to be quite a big, um, you know, I think this is how they 
proceed from this point on will be quite telling. Sony has embraced a lot of new customers. Uh, we've obviously, this podcast, we've talked so much more about Sony in the last few years oh, than yeah. we ever did. It's a very big growing market for them and they're very much embracing and taking Munich head on. And how they handle this, I think, how they approach these little sort of self own goals, whatever you want to call them, uh, it will be will be a really telling thing, and 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 hopefully, I'm sure they will, you know, um, do right by all of these new customers who have, uh, hey, um, have come into the fray. Speaking of, I just want to change the subject if I can. Please um, do because, because we've been talking I'm sure for a while. Well, sick of me ranting. <laughs> it was a pretty good one, Jase. Um, <laughs> So uh, while we've been talking, uh, people have been posting There questions. are now Japanese midget submarines making their way into <laughs> Sydney Harbour okay, and targeting up, a small building somewhere in Taramara. Hey, um, so, uh, so we've been, I posted on Twitter that uh, we were doing this, some questions. Here. Chris um, uh, from Late Night Films sent a question, which I don't know if we talked about or not, so I just want to see it if we did. Um, have we discussed the issue uh, in the dragon of the uh, OLPF and rather the two OLPFs, the old one and the new one, and the problems with flares and in particular noise uh, in the original OLPF? I just don't know if we the, um, the original low-pass filter or not, but certainly um, uh, I think this is something that Chris is seeing. I can't say that for certain, but it sounds like it from his post, which is to say that if you are renting a dragon, you probably know this if you've owned one, but if you're renting one, it's worth just keeping an eye on which low-pass filter has uh, been installed in the Dragon, the original low-pass filters on the Dragon. And this is something that's acknowledged by Red quite openly. I mean, they've got terrific uh, before and after, or not before and afters, but, you know, original versus new um, uh, low-pass filter stuff on the uh, original um, uh, Red website on Red yes. User. But, um, yeah, basically you get this magenta uh, kind of thing happening with the um, flares, but much more annoying for me was the noise in the blacks. Have you experienced that, Jase? Uh, I haven't. I've, I've shot a couple of things uh, with Dragon. I don't think we had – I think – I can't remember what, what, the, um, what the OLPF situation was with that camera, but, yes, I, I know that there was certainly a shift in the two OLP, OLPFs but it was, this was around the time of the, uh, the the very l low end of the rollout, and I think now that they're rolling out on mass, it's part of the second design. Yes. If one design is better than another, why are people not being given the second one? Is is that I'm not sure. I'm, I'm I have to confess that I've a little bit. I've, my 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 sort of gaze has shifted a little bit. Not having one of those cameras, my uh, anymore. My ca my gaze has a little bit shifted from that, so I'm not up to date with with where they are. But man, you know that that, that this they they should definitely be um, updating the OPFs because one of one of the main the main potential uh, pluses for Dragon, apart from the dynamic range, was that it was going to be much better. Um, in that, in that, and part of not just the not just OLPF in terms of um, um, uh, aliasing, but also for uh, UV um, infrared infrared uh, pollution. So, yeah, I think there's definitely some teething issues with the first first few of the OLPFs. But um, I'm 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 gonna plead ignorance. Sadly, that uh, yeah. I've uh, taken my eye off that particular ball. Yeah, well, I've got to say that uh, uh, Phil Holland, I think, was the first guy that um, yeah. I noticed. Phil's a great uh, sort of contributor to the community and just a really good DOP. 
Um, but yeah, he's uh, he posted a bunch of stuff. So I was kind of like, I thought that this was something that was pretty widely known, but perhaps not. So it's just worth repeating, which is to say that um, you really want to uh, be aware of what's going on with the low pass filter and the Dragon upgrades. I don't, I just don't see, apart from the fact that it's going to hit you a bit in terms of ISO, uh, from what I understand, speaking to someone other than Phil about this, uh, you're going to basically not want to have that. I can't see any reason why you wouldn't want to have the uh, the newer um, filter in there and uh, and uh, it's certainly not just limited to what we've just described. There are also in the way that it kind of flares, especially when you've got uh, sort of lens flarey big things, um, there's some sort of chromatic artifacting, which, Jace, you might like. You might say, well, that's very dog shitty. <coughs> I might say, that absolutely don't want that. Um, no, in my definitely. sensor, I can play with it in my lens. Yes. But yes. I don't want it in my sensor, thank you. With the lens, I have a choice. Cool. Yeah. But the sensor, I have no, no choice. choice. Yeah, exactly. So, no um, yeah. But anyway, yeah, look, say, there's it, definitely been a lot of reports of noise. And I know the guys have been working on it. There's been a lot of uh, firmware updates literally every few days uh, recently. Uh, intriguingly, some of them quite unusually um, uh, ULID. Um, well, but, there, is uh, a, there is an option for doing stuff post camera um, to improve stuff. But I just think that. Uh, you know, um, it's worth uh, really keep an eye out for. But as I say, if you are um, somebody that's owning a camera, you probably know all about this. But I'm so I'm really speaking to those of you that are probably looking to uh, to rent them. And let's face it, there are quite a lot of cameras out in the rental uh, community. If the person that's renting you the camera can't answer that question, I'd uh, I'd pay attention. Um, yeah, look, there definitely is some noise issues. Uh, it's not as sensitive as perhaps other cameras. Um, Dynamic range, of course, is there, but um, into the blacks is. Uh, I haven't personally, in the couple of shoots I've done with Dragon, haven't seen the noise, but I was subconsciously aware of it and did not push, did not push, and didn't actually need to push on, on for the subject I was doing. I didn't need to push it the ISO quite high. I am certainly aware of it with with the F5 as well. I know that there's regardless of the amazing fact that Sony, you know, you can almost see in the dark with that thing, noise is there to creep up and bite you in the ass, whichever your camera. And you need to be having a bloody big monitor and not just judge just by EVFs. You can't tell. You have to be having a slightly larger monitor, at least a seven-inch monitor or something, and really have a good look and, and uh, before you really lock yourself into shooting in any ISO. But and it, and it's, um, I think the noise more comes when you start to push 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 ISO into above a thousand or, or into the 1500 mark so 1200 mark which is sad because I was hoping that uh, you know that that sensor would be a little bit further on in, in its um, sensitivity really but yeah yeah well anyway uh, we'll post that in the uh, show notes so that you can have a look at it and uh, and see it if you aren't familiar with the issue that'll give you a link to both the uh, there's a there's a good article actually on uh, brainbox cameras about it and um, I found that when I was searching earlier and there's a obviously the red, original red user stuff. Hey, um, the other thing uh, we like to do here, obviously, apart from rat holes and ranting on about uh, what uh, Sony should or shouldn't do, is we love to flag really curiously. We love you, Sony. Seriously. No, we do. We do. We do. Absolutely. But I kid because I care. We rant because we care. <laughs> we we want to flag uh, new and unusual tech. And I've got to say, this one that we're about to discuss next has me intrigued 
to the point of skepticism. Um, this, oh, I think it's up your alley if it's the Stead XP thing. It is exactly what it is. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. a an on-camera box that records apparently data in addition to what's happening with your camera. In, in other words, it has uh, an understanding of what's happening t- on a time base that then it uses and applies computationally photography-wise to your footage so that you end up with um, more stabilized footage. Now, this is the... This is something FX, PhD, and FX guys should be... Right. You guys, I'm sure, are are slobbering at the mouth to get your hands on this and or dig into this tech because this is this is beyond just in-camera tech this is uh this is bridging the gap from camera to post now this is uh launched very soon level this is not you know out there so we we flag that this could be a really good april fool's joke but apparently um the way that it works from the video is that you've got this little box like think a cigarette packet that's sitting on top of your camera and it's recording stuff, and it processes your footage. So it's basically actual ASICs and circuitry to do stuff, not just a software way of doing a um, hyperlapse. Now, hyperlapse was shown by uh, Microsoft Research at SIGGRAPH. It was really, really good. We told a story about impressive. it. There's also stuff happening, of course, on your iPhone from Instagram, which, again, is really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, save actually you've got one of these things haven't you? I was about, uh, this is a rat hole no. not a rat hole but you no no you've got one of these um, uh, GoPro single stabilizer yes thingies. I do the, yes it was a uh, kickstarter a long time ago and literally within about four minutes of pressing the button there was like 19 Chinese knockoffs not as good but yes I do I have a three axis uh, handheld gimbal thing just for GoPros yeah is it good because I, I really want it's one astonish- of those. It's great. I mean, yeah, it's fantastic. You are limited to the fact that it is a GoPro, and you have to then obviously um, work, work. You know, get get your uh, the auto tune happening, pro tune rather, and really sort of work on your footage to to make it as filmic as possible to be able to cut it into things. But man, and it's just it's astonish- it is fantastic. It's a little movie for your for your hand. There is now a couple of things out, there, a couple of other things out there. How much was yours? Reportedly. Oh, it was something like it was five or six hundred dollars. It was no, because the reason I ask that is there's one coming out at uh, IBC called Shape. Yes, and Shape is the Uh, same thing. I mean, gimbal handheld. The Shape one though is only two axis. Is it okay? Well, it's it also does. You want three axis because. That rotation left yeah. to right will be make make things just as unsteady and unwatchable. You are, you are absolutely right. It's a two-axis. There, the there is a couple of three-axis out there. Um, but uh, actually, I'll tell you the thing that I bought because I think they are now, after they've done all their Kickstarter um, thing, I think they are actually there. Is it the DSLR Pro one? No. Uh, let me tell By you. By Breeze Think Systems? This. That's the one that I was looking at. Now, mm. the reason we're saying all this, guys, is because this – is the thing that oh no it's not breeze it's um god it is i'm sure it's uh okay it is it's dslr pros it is dlslr pros with an s dot com is the one that i was looking at and it's a stabilizer basically for your smartphone or your um or your gopro Um, mine's called the easy gimbal oh okay well this one's only this one's only 370 bucks and it's not a, I, a I, don't, I don't know. It's a three-axis GoPro stabilizer, and I'm absolutely not having a go at anyone from any regional area when I say it's not a Chinese knockoff. It's a seems like just a really um, healthy, uh, you know, product from guys that make 
you know, a bunch of different products, right? Yeah. Um, like, uh, you know, proper, uh, well, Octa sort of rigs and, and, and other sort of yes. property stuff. Um, Easygimbal.com is where they will, I guess, at some stage, coming in spring 2014. What's spring? Yeah, yeah. American spring? Yeah, it would on. be. Only, only Americans um, talk about spring. Well, uh, anyway, I know that once they've really – I think they are still just doing the tail end of their uh, um, delivering, delivering out to Kickstarter backers and then they will definitely start selling it. Uh, but, yeah, it's been terrific. It's fantastic. Have it literally it? has no settings to it. You put the GoPro in it and you flick the on button and boom, it locks. It has, you know, like follow mode and that's basically it. That's what it does. It's great. Okay, so the one that I'm talking about, the DSLR Pro one, um, has more than that. It has three modes in it. It has a mode where you, it'll uh, stabilize um, and do follow, like, you know, um, majestic mode. But it oh, also does a point just straight ahead no matter what I do as much as you can mode. Mm-hmm. And it has a tilt mode that does something else. I can't remember what that is. Um, but anyway, the reason I mention all this is because this is – uh, the kind of tech you need if you're not going to use yes. the Steady XP, um, uh, which is to say this little box that isn't yet out. That looks it's, remarkable. it's bizarre. It's an interesting thing. But the weird, uh, I think the thing that I can't get my head around is that I don't know how steady or fantastic my footage is going to be until I'm done shooting. Well, that's which, true if you, which, if you do other the results, The results and the... Uh, results look amazing, and it's not just doing a uh, a clever um, stabilizing in 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 post. It seems to be some very clever. I'm imagining, Mike. I'm not sure. Maybe you'll do some more research on this, but I guess there seems to be some sort of repair or um, yeah, it's going to do repair, and, and therefore you, it's going to have some image hit. It <clears> has <throat> to. It's just like literally, can I not do any operation on video that isn't going to have some hit? But the thing about yeah. it that that is interesting to me is that it seems to have um, something that it's recording in the way of extra data that's then going to feed into its solution. So it's yeah. not just relying on the footage and saying, oh, can I work this out? It's saying, I rely on the footage. And oh, by the way, I bothered taking some of my own notes while you were working. Might help. Now, that yes, being I think said, that's, that's it, yeah. I mean, it's fantastic to be able to go with minimal gear, literally just grab a DSLR, put this thing on the hot shoe and just run combat style. And then you have the choice to repair it or to stabilize it, I imagine as much as you like, which you don't have in camera, of course, if you're using an an on-camera solution. Yeah. So I don't know much more about it other than that, other than the fact that it's going to work sort of checking it out. Other than that, the the, the behind the scenes and the footage and the final results, obviously there's rendering time involved, of course, depending on the resolution of your camera and, you know, what, what sort of footage you're trying to repair. But... For for from what you see being shot versus the results, it is stunning. I've got to say, it's it's an amazing world we live in in terms of camera platforms, isn't it? I mean, you oh. need to have the right shot to want to do this kind of stuff. Yes. And one of the things about the hyperlapse that um, you know certainly we we discussed when we were talking about the Microsoft thing at SIDGRAPH <clears> is <throat> it can make a very long uh, video filmed on a GoPro actually interesting to watch. Um, I am yeah. always wondering when I see people driving around the city with GoPro stuck to the side of their helmets, how often they actually go home and watch that footage. You know, like here's yes. the half an hour yes. drive home. Only I'm going to watch it for half happens. an hour. Well, okay, but 
but from our point of view, we're not doing it for a Russian witness camera for insurance reasons. Yes, we're doing it for right. filmmaking, right? Yeah. And uh, and it, you know, a sped I think it up definitely has its place though. This yeah, thing. totally. Because I mean, there's place, there's times. I mean, just as there's time and a place for Steadicam, there's a time and a place for a movie. Um, there's also time and place for this, where you literally just want small hand, you know, small small camera in your hand, and have the ability to then repair. Out, particularly, I guess, if you either didn't have the budget, you didn't have the time or the spaces that you're crawling through or you're doing handovers or you're doing something literally that isn't necessarily in as much as this is possible that isn't possible with Movie, which is hard to imagine. That, uh, But I, I like, you know, you just want that rawness. Uh, but the ability, I think what's interesting is the, then you have the ability to wind back that rawness or retain some of it or completely erase it uh, it, I'm it I'm, with what I can see, very very little or if none artifacts uh, or or uh, I'm 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 very interested to 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 have this as as part of the arsenal and because it's not restricted, it's not camera restricted. This is something you could put it on top of a whatever you could bolt this to the top of an Alexa. Uh, yeah, could you not? Subject to not knowing anything about what it's fed with, right? Well, because it's not, it's not, it's there's no mechanical, there's no electronic linkage. It's purely motion. You're, it's using a, you know, from what we can understand, it's using time. It's potentially using GPS. Who knows? It's using, it's using accelerometers. Well, yeah, but I mean, imagine the thing only worked with an SLR that's producing an H.264 kind of file. Well, it wouldn't, would it? Because it has to be on no. the output of the. It, there's no physical. There's no, no. electronic connection. That this object knows nothing about the camera underneath it. Yeah. Okay. It's purely just its own it's taking its own tracking data. It's like a GPS logger. That's that is just purely just, just it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a um, flight data computer basically. It's just taking a whole bunch of axes information and and. In, in, in cramming it into turning into data and and obviously what you need at the back end of it is an incredibly impressive piece of software to then be able to interpret that interpolate that that data combine it with the vision and then also add there's some clever there no from it looks like there's some clever some clever repair going in there as well because there's just only so far that 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 that, that um, stabilizing can can get you there's this this information must be being used in other ways other than just you know because you can get a great stabilization just by you know just with a software looking at the actual far, footage there must be something way beyond just looking at the vision that this is this is giving you way more than that so anyway it's very clever very interesting that is a big huge watch this space i think and i don't yeah, unless it is as you say vaporware or april falls uh that's going to be um certainly worth worth looking at well i think that comes to the end of the podcast jace we have to wind it up at this point because i'm running okay. out of uh, available uh okay. bandwidth. a couple of little things i want to mention yep. at the end well, first of all, just a, sh- a shout out to um, Extra Shot, the podcast Extra Shot, which is where I obviously found out about, uh, I mean, apart from on Twitter, but it's where I found out about um, the, um, uh, you know, the, the F5 yep, the hack workaround. <laughs> so, yeah, search for Extra Shot. It's really good. It's a couple of good shooters talking very quietly, very calmly, I think, very um, responsibly and, and there's no emotions it's quite it's quite it's quite a 
Quite an English. Oh, ship. really? Who wants that? Hey, um, <laughs> hey, you've got time for so, one more thing. In, and the one more thing I think you should plug is that thing that you found the weirdest thing in the world, strapping a camera to a oh, camera, it's filming weird, a camera. But it's beautiful. It's fantastic. Do you want to explain? Uh, uh, yes, let me just try and like find you, the link. What can to you do if you've got a Pentax 67? Where is it? Hang on, hang on. You I've go and something. strap something else to it with a oh, bit yeah. of wood, Look, it's, it's a beautiful. bit of cardboard, it, it, and a bit it, of gaffer tape. It's a lovely little little film on Vimeo uh, of uh, uh, essentially. It's not that there's a, the whole technique of doing something called uh, TTV or through the viewfinder of using an old range, an old uh, look down. Uh, twin lens uh, reflex camera and pointing a digital camera through that and getting the essentially the Instagram grime and dust and muck and stuff of looking through a couple of million pieces of optics. Um, but the, this is taking it from – and this is sort of a twist on that, which is essentially you are um, uh, not just looking through the viewfinder, but you are uh, – you're actually seeing the you're seeing the camera itself. You're seeing looking down the bottom of an old Pentax six seven. I used to have an old Pentax six seven, a lovely, lovely camera, uh, one twenty uh, roll camera. Well, it's actually, yeah, one twenty on 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 six seven, uh, and it's beautifully done. And you not just get this interesting view through the lens. But you also get the view around the camera, around the lens, so you see where the camera is, as well as the uh, uh, as well as the beautiful imagery through through the lens. It's lovely. It's beautifully made. It's a wonderful, wonderful, very simple little, um, uh, very simple little little video, and I, I think it's beautiful. Uh, Vimeo.com, one o four o eight eight nine five four. Is that right, Mark? Uh, or the link in the show notes. Or the link in the show notes. Yes. Of course. I think you can actually get there by doing a search on stunning video Paris captured viewfinder. Paris through Pentax. Pentax. <laughs> Paris through Pentax. Yeah. By Molson Carno. And it is uh, beautiful. Wonderfully done. If you haven't seen it, yeah, it's just, it's a dream. And it, <laughs> and I think if maybe if you perhaps go to Molson Carno's, uh, if you go to the Vimeo page as well, there'll be a... Um, uh, it take you through. I think there is a, not necessarily a behind the scenes, but there's a, some photos of the rig that they used, which is incredibly cumbersome. So I think it's super kudos to them to not only create this thing, but also wander through Paris with this incredibly bulky. Um, it's actually a uh, Black Magic pocket camera, bolted to a stick, bolted to a bracket on the top of the, You know, it's like this three foot. Yeah. It's this three foot high uh, wooden contraption with two cameras. Pretty funny, to, wouldn't you? Oh, it's lovely. That's uh, and uh, yeah, all the more kudos because it's you know, you're, you're on cafe tables and following skateboarders and all this stuff, but with this yeah, huge three p- foot plank of wood. For our um, Twitter Genius. shout out, I'm going to do uh, Phil, who I mentioned earlier, who is at PHFX. He's a really good DOP. You should follow him. Um, and uh, yeah, he's uh, very generous in the film community generally. He's not like a, um, you know, like a lot of people, uh, you know, post. Good stuff, and then a lot of uh, how can I put this uh, cat videos? He doesn't do that. So that's yes, and my Twitter shout out would be to Paul Reem, who is the uh, DP involved in Extra Shot Podcast, who also did the F5 workaround. Paul R E A M. Well, that's it for this month's podcast. We're going <laughs> to do the September, but no, we do the Metri month. We're just a bit late on this one because you've been overseas, and you can hear yes. that Jason, in fact, was sick. We're going to do it at the end of last week <clears throat> yes, to be I less to be Ukrainian less behind. Bogey. 
but he was so sick at the end of last week that an audio podcast, <laughs> if we could done a video one where he was yes, doing Kabuki that's... mime, perhaps we had a sort of chance, uh, but no. All and, the better uh, for yes. it, perhaps. But I will say that uh, we don't take you guys uh, lightly. Jace had said he felt so bad about um, not getting it out that if even if he was uh, flying to Ukraine, he'd have done it in the middle of the night via Skype so as to uh, make sure we got it out. Yes. So we do want to uh, make sure that we uh, get one out each month, but we do also appreciate how much you guys are annoyed when we don't, and we take that as both a kick up the backside and now, as a, a, a... Having said that, and please come visit me at home, Mike, and kick me up the backside if I am here. If we don't do what should be uh, not too long from now, a post-IBC uh, podcast, there's yes. a slight chance I'll actually going to go and be there on the way through to perhaps a job in Europe. So if not, either way, no doubt that will be a um, a trade show with some interesting news to it and that warrants uh, an episode of its own. Absolutely. Hopefully. Until then, Jace, uh, where can people find you? I'm uh, at uh, wingrove.tv or um, I am uh, at wingrove. And I'm on uh, Twitter as uh, Mike Seymour, but also, of course, at fxguide.com. We've got some great stuff coming up on FX Guide, uh, some really good stories. Uh, in a little while, uh, we have one of those stories that I was recording on that uh, mic with uh, Richard Edland, who's uh, one of the guys uh, who literally was there at the outset of Star Wars, and I think he won four or five, six Oscars. But, I mean, the first four were, like, for Star Wars and Raiders and uh, just fascinating thing, all coming up on uh, FX Guide. Really, really interesting talking to him. And he has just such a love of cameras, which is why I mention it. He was uh, showing me all these restored cameras uh, that he was uh, working on in his office. So just a real mm, joy to cameras. connect with him. Yeah, really good, um, big, uh, hard-ass uh, cameras from days gone by in the days that it really mattered that you could shoot a larger piece of negative for uh, doing effects work. Okay, well, that's it for this week or this month. Thank you so much, guys, for being with us. We really appreciate it. Um, fire us any questions. And thanks for those people like Chris who posted during the show. Until next time, I'm Mike. Thanks, See ya. Thanks for listening. Send your questions or comments to rc at fxguide.com. Copyright 2011, FX Guide, LLC.